This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. It's a whole reinvention of banking. And I hope you can see and feel it here today. It's open, it's friendly, it's fun. Of course, it's very safe, but this is almost the anti-bank bank model. Most of the stupid things that current banks do, we do the reverse. We want your business, we want you in, we're gonna make our hours and products and services convenient for you. That was Vernon Hill, co-founder and vice chairman of Metro Bank, speaking back in 2010 at the launch of the new high street lender in the UK. But despite his best laid plans, things went awry for Metro when it was forced to seek rescue funds. But this is far from an exception. Small lenders on both sides of the Atlantic are looking vulnerable to deposit flight or other capital issues. But what can regulators do when a crisis in a small bank erupts? How can they keep it contained? Stay tuned for this week's Newsroom. Welcome back to the Newsroom, a podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. Small banks are causing big problems for regulators. Metro Bank in the UK over the past week and Silicon Valley Bank and others ran into trouble earlier this year in the US. It's a problem for regulators when many crises are happening with greater frequency. And here to talk to me about it is the Breaking News financial experts, Liam Proud, who covers banks in Europe, and John Foley, who's in the US. Liam, John, you're very welcome. Great to be here. So, John, if I could start with you, because I feel like this this sort of focus on small banks really started in the US in in recent months, and it would started with Silicon Valley Bank. So, I wonder, John, if you could tell me basically what has been happening in the US with small banks. What has been the concerns around them? Well, um, it started actually before Silicon Valley Bank. It started with a bank called Silvergate. There was a kind of specialist crypto venture capital lender. And that's where really the wobbles began. And and after a long period of no banks failing in the US, um, suddenly that kind of honeymoon period came to an end with Silvergate, which which voluntarily you know, closed itself down. But then obviously Silicon Valley Bank started a kind of domino rally of, uh, well, let's, uh, we're saying small banks, but these are not small banks by anyone else's standards. These are, you know, big hundreds of billions of dollar banks um, that got into trouble, partly because interest rates had risen so rapidly and they weren't really ready for the impact of that. So now there's been this big debate about how to regulate banks so that you minimize the chance of these uh, destabilizing moments. And uh, uh, it's created a kind of big versus small 
battle where small banks are saying, and small banks covers everything from really tiny little banks in towns that are just a crossroads um, somewhere in the deep south with banks that are actually quite sophisticated and large and as big as anything that you would find and consider systemically important in Europe. So the, the battle is how much regulation should you put on the small banks? At what point do you stop protecting them and start smothering them? Um, and that's playing out in a big way over here. And obviously in the UK, this this discussion has now sparked up as well with, and I'm sure Liam's going to explain what's going on there with Metro Bank. Yes, Liam, I was I was curious if you could talk us through what has been going on with Metro Bank. So a bank that started in 2010 is sort of a, an alternative to, you know, the big, large high street lenders that, that got into, you know, that were very unpopular after the last financial crisis. So what's been going on with Metro lately? Um, yeah, it's been a bit of a mess, to be honest. Um, I mean, Metro Bank is a, you know, it it it's small by US standards, doesn't even describe it. I mean, it's like tens of about 20 billion assets or so, which, you know, is really compared to Silicon Valley Bank. I think it was about Silicon Valley Bank was about $200 billion or so. So it really is a, a small bank in, in, in an absolute sense. They, um, they were one of this breed of lenders that kind of sprung up in the wake of the financial crisis to try and take on the UK's rather concentrated banking market. Um, and they ran into a lot of trouble in recent years um, without kind of going down the rabbit hole. They had um, an issue with regulators um, kind of in the years before the pandemic where they'd kind of misclassified some of their assets in various complicated ways um, that got them into trouble. Um, and then more recently, there's this particular type of um, uh, debt capital that banks in Europe and the UK have to issue. Um, and they had some of this which was sitting out there, but it was going to expire. And there was a question about whether or not they'd be able to refinance it. And if they couldn't, then they would have breached their regulatory thresholds, which would be a you know, terrible thing to do. Um, so there was this kind of panic about whether or not they'd hit this cliff edge. Um, they didn't in the end. They kind of fixed it and it wasn't really an issue for for regulators. Um, but, you know, you never know. These things do tend to kind of, you know, linger on um and i don't think everyone in the market is convinced that the metro situation is totally solved you know it's interesting yeah. like you say you talk about how small this bank is and in, in the us like i think metro bank i had a quick look at the rankings it would have been like you know something like the 150th biggest bank in the us um by its by size by size but right. but like it, the idea that these tiny banks that you may have never heard of can actually if you don't handle their problems efficiently and and decisively can actually like upset the entire system that's kind of been the the teaching of this year i think yeah i think so i mean i guess i i don't know what it would have taken for metro's problems to become other banks problems um i mean i guess that's kind of the issue with this sector though isn't it like it wasn't necessarily obvious that um you know it was rational to pull your deposits from all the banks that in the US that people pulled their deposits from in the wake of Silicon Valley Bank. But once it happens, it kind of the problem creates itself, if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to be clear, I don't think there's any suggestion that there's that Metro has any kind of real implication for any other UK banks at the moment. Certainly, that's not what share prices are telling you. Liam, on, on Metro Bank, I mean, what before, as you say, the situation sort of resolved itself, which was the shareholders and 
you know, bondholders all kind of clubbed together and it, and seemed found the solution to, to keeping the bank going a bit longer. I mean, what were the tools that the Bank of England could have used in this situation, in basically a resolution situation if it had come to that? Yeah, so, um, and this is where you kind of get to the common themes, I think, kind of transatlantic-wise. So um, if they had not managed to reissue this kind of arcane form of regulatory debt, then, um, you know, and you, you if it had link, limped on like that, you probably would have seen kind of deposits leaving and and pretty nasty stuff like that. Then I think it's kind of obvious that, yeah, the Bank of England would have had to have stepped in and wound this thing up. Um, and, you know, based on various reports and kind of people around the situation that were talking to us, that kind of was, you know, a, a live possibility over the weekend. Um, but it's kind of intriguing to think, what that would have looked like um, and compare and contrast to the United States. So essentially, as I said before, there's there's kind of various layers of capital uh, capital upon capital that you have to have in the UK um, and Europe, even if you're a pretty small bank like Metro. Um, and one of them is a kind of like a form of debt that basically gets wiped out and burnt if you fail. And the idea is it's just an extra slab of protection for depositors, for customers of the bank. Um, so, you know, if you kind of run the numbers, you, you, you probably kind of find it quite find it quite hard to imagine a scenario where depositors would have lost serious amounts of money at Metro. Um, so, you know, the, the deposit insurance schemes probably wouldn't have needed to kind of, you know, top themselves up a huge amount. And that's partly because you had this debt sitting there that would have protected customers. Um, and that's not what happened at Silicon Valley Bank or First Republic or you know, Silvergate and the various other ones where the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which is the bailout fund for the US banks, registered you know, absolutely huge amounts of money. It's cost them to wind these banks up. And I think that's really started a debate, which, um, you know, it's quite an interesting kind of, you know, parallel there. But should, should there be a debt requirement for the smaller US banks, um, which there isn't really at the moment? Well, there might be though soon, I guess. Like the, that's part of the package of of bank reforms that are being discussed right now in the US. Is the idea that banks over a lower threshold than before it would be, but it's still hundred billion dollars. So we're still talking about big banks would have to issue long term debt. The theory being that like when things get go bad, it's the it's the debt, it's the holders of the debt that take losses first before it hits depositors. So that's part of the tug of war that's happening now. The lobbying and the the arguing about what the final rules will be should should and it's sort of like saying should mid-sized banks funding be more complicated if you like in order to give more options when a bank gets into trouble on how to spread out the losses yeah. it's an interesting debate and as you said it seems like they're pretty you know they're pretty determined to go ahead with this um because i think a lot of people over here would argue be careful you know basically this debt requirement i mean it isn't it wouldn't be exactly the same as what they're proposing in the us but structurally similar um it kind of destabilized metro arguably i mean if they, if it hadn't existed then would they have had this problem in the in the first place i mean that's kind of one argument you know that having to refinance this this regulatory requirement was was actually the straw that broke the camel's back but i don't know about that i mean i do i do think that they should press on with this in the states because you you can also look at it as a safety valve. I mean, you know, if a bank like Metro can't find any debt investors to buy its long-term debt to fund itself to meet regulatory requirements, and you sort of have to ask, 
or does it have any business running as an entity with a kind of state-backed deposit guarantee if it can't even convince kind of financial investors that it's got a, a real business model so i think i think there's a kind of early warning system that, that this type of debt can play which does ultimately keep the system safer even if it gets a bit messy sometimes but is there um is there a sense though john like in the us and as you mentioned these banks are obviously a lot bigger than metro bank was but if you ask them to raise more debt, that obviously increases their own running costs and funding costs themselves. Making would that make them less competitive? As in, you've got interest rates that are that are very high. You know, people are really kind of struggling to get affordable mortgages. What you want, right, is that you want lots of you know, banks competing with each other, and I guess having low costs and and kind of okay margins. I'm just sort of curious whether there is any kind of thinking or debate about that. Oh, well, there's a load, loads of debate about it, and uh, like banks generally tend to tend to feel that any change in the regulation that involves them doing a thing they didn't have to do before is going to make them less competitive. But it's worth at this point. It, I, I like it's always worth remembering that the US is an outlier. I was going to say weird. It's, I mean, it is weird, but it's also an outlier. Um, it's a less judgmental way of saying it. In that it has four thousand banks. This is a lot. It has a lot of banks tiny banks, big banks, tiny banks, banks in the middle. Um, and the structure of US banking is really different from any other country, just mo mostly for historical reasons, actually, the way the US was developed, the way banking rules developed in terms of being able to open branches in multiple states. So you have like you have very small banks, you have very big banks, you have banks in the middle. Now, the problems that we're seeing are not the big banks, the JP Morgans and the Banks of America, which are doing just fine and which gained about $100 billion of deposits in the couple of weeks after Silicon Valley Bank went down. But it's also not really the small banks, the tiny, tiny banks, like really tiny banks, are long term challenged because the communities that they serve are kind of going away in many cases. And they are really small. But they for the time being, they're actually doing quite well. And they they uh, and we, we did some uh, digging into the finances of these tiny banks and the smallest are earning returns on their equity of you know, 14, 15%, which is good for a bank. So there's a question of how, like, do you want to, yes, you want to preserve small banks, but actually small, really small banks aren't in trouble. It's the middle-sized banks. It's, the, it's what they call the regional banks. And, and they are going to be made less competitive, unfortunately for them, by the changing rules, by the need to hold long-term debt, by just the, the increased supervision of what they do and how they lend. And it's kind of tough. Ultimately, I think those banks are going to have to consolidate some of them will go away. Hopefully, they'll go away in an orderly way rather than a Silicon Valley Bank way. Um, certainly, the regulators are primed to stop a, a chaotic collapse. But I just think there is still room for those tiny, tiny banks. There is obviously room for the giant banks, but the banks in the middle have a very uncertain future. And I do so, think yeah, they are going to be much less competitive. Sorry, John. I was gonna say, I did, there's another kind of element over all of this, which just to bring in, really complete the the bank crisis bingo game by mentioning Credit Suisse, <laughs> which is obviously not a small bank, um, which you know effectively failed in March as well. It, you know, this is one of the, the the big globally systemic banks have had to have this class of you know kind of protective, burnable debt um, for for a long time, and Credit Suisse had loads of this stuff. Um, and it wasn't used, right? You had a, a, a particular part of it was used, the kind of additional tier one, but most of it wasn't used. You had a load of like normal kind of um, bail-inable debt. And I think in, in a way you can see why the authorities didn't want to burn 
those bondholders. Um, they had never seen it done successfully before with a big bank and you sort of markets were fragile at the time and you didn't really know what process you might set in train by by doing that. But I kind of think it's a shame because we've got these rules now which you know look like they're now going to apply to, as John said, the kind of you know big middle of the US banking system. And we 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 can't have any conviction that anyone will ever like have the kind of the gumption to actually use them in a crisis. Um, so I think they're a great idea, but I do wonder if authorities have the bottle to to test it and actually wipe some people out for a change. I I always find Liam really like funny the kind of conversation that goes around around crises though because they say oh the market is too fragile to deal with bailing in bondholders and and I always think what market were you imagining that you would be bailing in bondholders as in did you think it would be this like buoyant perfect market and then this Such one tiny point. bank went wrong <laughs> you know so I, I that that's always the the difficulty as well with them using this toolkit is they think it'll almost make things worse if they do it but then that was what they were created for so it, I think there's also yeah. like another thought on the toolkit is that like you know people like doing more of the stuff that they know they're good at. So regulators like to make more regulations. And the the latest package of what's called Basel III reforms that's been proposed in the US, it's like 1,100 pages of stuff. And like some of the bank bosses, Jamie Dimon, JP Morgan in particular, have complained about just the sheer volume of it. And actually, you can spend the rest of your life like concocting tiny tweaks to rules. But when you look back at where we started Silicon Valley Bank and the other bank collapses earlier in the year, it was the supervisors, the people who look at how banks operate, were not actually doing their job very well. It wasn't so much about the rules not being there. It was that the regulators were looking for the wrong things. So we can get tied up in red tape and and insist on all kinds of new fancy structures to keep banks safe. But really what you need is supervisors who have their eyes open and know what they're doing. I think that's absolutely right. But I do also think if you're depending on people always being, you know, 10 out of 10 good at their jobs, then at some point someone's going to slip up right so uh yeah i i I would quite like you know uh, someone to test these bail-in bonds at some point and i think it's a shame they didn't with credit suisse because it wasn't it wasn't an all-out market panic right there was markets were fragile but it wasn't 2008 i think in a way it would have been the best time best possible circumstance you could imagine but hey Mm. that's counterfactual history well, I can imagine there will probably be another situation, Liam. So we'll we'll hopefully see it uh, at some point. Um, John, Liam, such an interesting conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Catch up with our latest views and much more on breakingviews.com and on X, where our handle is at breakingviews. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. 
What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC.